0: Well, good morning. My name is Jim Eaton, and I'm the youth pastor here at First Covenant. Just in case we haven't been introduced, you know who I am. Uh, as as Wes mentioned earlier, Pastor Doug's brother passed away, and so uh, I offered to preach this morning. Uh, I have this sermon uh, tucked away from a number of years ago, and I thought I could pull it out, dust it off, and we could journey together. Today also happens to be Transfiguration Sunday And that's the topic of the sermon. The passage is on the Transfiguration. Transfiguration Sunday is always the Sunday right before Ash Wednesday, which happens this week on Wednesday. And that kicks off the 40-day season of Lent uh, leading up to Easter, where Christians prepare to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And so I thought this would be a great passage for today. It just happens to fall on Transfiguration Sunday. Well, there are two questions that our students who are in our confirmation program, our Defy the Odds class, wrestle with. There's more than two, but two that have that, that, that tie-in today. The first question is, who is Jesus Christ? They're asked that question to wrestle with that as they go through their, their, the lessons and the, and the two-year process. The other question is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? And these two questions form the main point of the message for today. And that is this, who you say Jesus is dictates how you will follow him. Who you say Jesus is dictates how you will follow him. Now, that might seem like a simple idea, but the ramifications are significant if you miss the mark on that. And we are in a series called On Your Mark, where we're journeying through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, um, talking about how uh, we can live our lives in the way and on the mark, how we can live our lives in the way that we need, should be as followers of Jesus. We can look at the stories of the disciples and the Pharisees and other people who missed the mark, and we can learn from them and learn how we can be on the mark. Understanding Jesus's identity who Jesus is as the divine son of God, Messiah, is crucial for understanding how to be on the mark as his disciples. So I want to invite you to turn with me today to Mark chapter nine. This is where we find the story of the transfiguration. And as you turn there, I'll give you just a little bit of context. Mark chapter nine is part of a block of scripture that actually starts back in chapter eight. Uh, but this, 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 Section of Scripture, Mark is inviting uh, the reader to consider Jesus's identity as the divine Son of God, Messiah. Beginning in chapter eight, uh, back in chapter eight, where Peter confesses that his belief that Jesus is the Messiah. The narrative then moves through Jesus's first prediction of his death and resurrection. And then the Transfiguration passage, which we'll read through today and and journey through today. The next piece is an exorcism performed by Jesus, which Doug preached about last week. And then Jesus's second prediction of his death and resurrection. So we have two these two predictions of Jesus's death and resurrection. And right in the middle is this passage on the transfiguration. Being that it's in the center means Mark is trying to communicate something to us with it. And so we're going to jump into it today and pay, pay attention to what it's meaning for us is today. So Mark chapter nine, verse two, the first sentence says this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John up to a high mountain. Now, Peter, James and John, we, we know who these people, these guys are. These are Jesus's disciples and they're the three closest disciples to Jesus. They're the ones that Jesus often calls on to get away with him, to go pray or have solitude. They're the ones that he confides in and, and they encourage him and lift him up. Um, and, and they're the core group of the disciples. And so Jesus takes these three up this high mountain. And it's significant that Mark notes that it's a high mountain. You see, Jesus often went away with them, uh, and, and but crowds would find them and, you know, ask questions and, and dialogue with Jesus and ask him to do miracles and things like that. But this time Jesus wants specifically to get away from the crowds and have this moment with the disciples. And so that's what they do. Uh, you see, this would not have been out of the ordinary for Jesus to do with the disciples and the disciples would be like, yeah, let's go. But they get up to this high mountain and what they experience up on this high mountain is way out of the ordinary and unexpected. Let's pick it up with the second sentence of of verse two. Mark's just straight out there with it. He says, there he was transfigured before them. There Jesus was transfigured before them. What in the world does it mean for Jesus to be transfigured? Well, Mark clarifies it just a little bit. In verse three, he says his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could even bleach them. So they are emanating light. They are glowing. And Matthew and Luke also record this, uh, this story and give some other details and even talk about Jesus's face shining as well. So what in the world is going on here? What is happening in this moment with this this glow coming from Jesus? Well, we don't know exactly what's happening, but we know that there is significance to it. We don't know the physicalness of what's happening, but here is what's going on. It's God's glory shining through Jesus. Jesus' divinity, the holy divine, side of him is shining through his flesh through his humanity and and revealing himself to Peter James and John in this moment Jesus's divinity is shining through his humanity we have no idea what the disciples thought they might experience up on this excursion with Jesus but i think it's safe to say that was not on the list this glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, has been revealed in other points in Scripture. We see it at other places. For example, at Jesus' baptism, when the heavens open and we hear God's voice and the dove comes down and Jesus is being baptized. We also see this in a key moment with Moses on the mountain uh, on Sinai. And I want to invite you to turn there and let's look at, at this really quickly. Um, Exodus chapter 33. Keep a finger in Mark chapter 9 because we're going to come back there. But let's flip over to Mark 33, starting in verse 18. This is the context where Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments for the second time. And he's spending quite a bit of time up on Mount Sinai with God. And, And in that time, he asks God if he can see his glory. And so verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. He just straight up boldly asks God, show me your glory. And God obliges. That doesn't happen very often, I don't think. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put my hand in. Uh, I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. What an incredible moment for Moses. God says, oh, I'm going to let you see me sort of. I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand because you'll die if you see my face. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you and keep you safe while I pass by. And then you can see the afterglow. You can see my backside. And Moses gets to have that experience. Well, that's the kind of experience Peter, James and John are having on the mountain with Jesus back in Mark chapter nine. They are experiencing this incredible glory of God shining right in front of them, and they're not dead. They're seeing it right there, right in front of them. It's absolutely incredible. But wait, that's not all. There's more to this story. It keeps getting better. So Jesus, in verse 3, his clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone can them. And then in verse 4, there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. So here, Peter, James, and John are. Jesus has got this weird glowing thing going on. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up right next to him. Absolutely incredible, incredible moment. There's two reasons that Moses and Elijah show up right here. Luke actually talks uh, in his narrative, in Luke chapter 9, about Moses and Elijah showing up to care for Jesus. They talk with jesus about his departure so they're preparing him talking with him about his journey to the cross resurrection and even ascension they are talking with him and preparing him for that and i think about this and i think like a pep talk but i'm thinking what do you tell someone who's about to go to the cross for something they didn't don't deserve that punishment for like hey man you got this oh this is going to be great i know exactly what you're going No. I don't really know what you're going to go through, but you got this. Like, I don't know what they said in that moment. And we don't know. It's not recorded, but they're there to care for him and encourage him. So that's reason number one, why Moses and Elijah are there. The second reason why Moses and Elijah are there is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, not just another prophet. See, as we know, the Jews expected a Messiah. We know that. And in fact, some thought that the Messiah might actually be one of the prophets of old, even maybe Moses or Elijah come back to rescue them. And so the fact that uh, that that Moses and Elijah are here, but it is Jesus who is transfigured, clarifies and wipes away any confusion for the disciples on who the Messiah truly is. Jesus is certainly on a whole nother level than any other prophet. They realize this in that moment. There's no way that they can confuse Jesus with anyone else. And there's no way that we can confuse Jesus with anyone else because it is clear in this moment who he is. He is the divine Son of God, Messiah. This harkens back to the question, who do you say I am? Let's continue in verses five and six. We hear about Peter's response. James and John are silent in the narrative, but Peter speaks. Verse five, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. let us put up some shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And verse six gives what's going on here. He says he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Peter's mind is like short circuiting here. He's just speaking out. And we know Peter's like, you know, a reactionary dude who just like does stuff sometimes without thinking or says things without thinking. And and that's what's happening in this moment. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that where words leave your mouth and you're like, oh, I wish I could take those back and you slow motion watch them, right? And you can't get them back. And then they land in someone's ears and you're like, I wish that never came out of my mouth. Well, there's a moment like this where my brain short circuited. I was in about eighth or ninth grade and, uh, the school that I went to often would take the last day of school and it would take students to Valley Fair. Valley Fair is an amusement park, like worlds of fun in Kansas city and Valley Fairs in the twin cities and up in Minnesota. And, uh, so, um, I would go and, and, and my youth group and things like that, we'd often went and there was this, this ride there called the looping pirate ship. And it was a pirate ship that would just go, you get in and you just go around and upside down. And at one point it would even hang and stop with everybody upside down. And growing up, I was like, I'm never doing that. Well, somehow in, in this moment, on this trip, a friend convinced me to do it. And, uh, I, and in my, lack of wisdom at that moment, (laughs) I decided to, I agreed to go on this, this ride with him. And, and so I'm the whole way though, I'm talking myself through it. Every step in line that we're taking, I'm like, no, I'm still safe. Take the next step forward. Nope. I'm still safe. Get in the seat, sit down. Like I'm still safe. Put the thing down, the, the, whatever you call it, that comes down over you the harness and, and lock that in. I'm like, I'm still safe. Buckle the lap belt. I'm still safe. Okay. The ride starts and then I'm starting to freak out. I'm not so safe. This is a bad idea. And so the ride, you know, it rocks back and forth and there's rows of people facing each other and it's rocking back and forth, and goes higher and then higher. And then eventually it's upside down. And here I am. I find myself hanging upside down. And in this moment, I can feel my body weight lift off the seat because there's no centrifugal force holding me on the seats anymore. And all of my weight is pressing into the harness and and the the lap belt. And I'm absolutely terrified, freaking out. And I find myself out of nowhere screaming at the top of my lungs, I'm having a baby! (laughs) Why? I don't know where that came from. Those are just the words that came out of my mouth. My friend looks at me and is like, what are you talking about? And there's two ladies that have had kids. They're looking at me like, you you doorknob. What are you? What are you, idiot? What the heck? And uh, so thankfully, I, I was able to calm myself down and go, oh, I shouldn't say things like that. Okay. And I got off the ride and I was okay. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. Never in my life. And I haven't to this day done that again. Roller coasters are one thing. You're through that upside down real fast. But that hanging upside down thing. No, thank you. Not that high. Well, I think that's kind of what's going on in Peter's mind here. That's kind of the idea we get from from Mark, who's telling this story, is that that Peter's just talking. He just doesn't know what to do. And so these words just come out of his mouth. And, and perhaps they come from the idea that, that I mean, Jesus is, is here, he's transfigured, his glory is shining, he's on this mountain, and Moses and Elijah are here, and he's like, let's build some tents for you guys. The kingdom is here, Jesus is here, he's come, he's going to conquer things. This is the, the new place, the new center of his kingdom, and, and we'll build some tents for you guys. We don't need tents, we'll sleep outside, that's fine, you guys have some tents, we'll hang out right here with you. They kind of maybe had this moment of thinking, this is it. And as soon as the words are out of Peter's mouth, Matthew tells us that God starts speaking. This cloud comes and God speaks and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's like, Peter, stop talking. <laughs> Just <shh. laughs> this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And we've heard those words before, right? At Jesus' baptism where God, the heavens open and God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But in this passage, this time, God speaks directly to Peter, James, and John with the command to listen to him. It's as if God is saying, hey guys, um, maybe you haven't figured it out yet, but this is Jesus. This is the son of God. This is my son and I'm pleased with him. He is the Messiah. You now see this. He's transfigured. You see his glory. Um, I want you to pay attention to what he's saying. I want you to listen to him. And maybe that's a question that resonates in your heart or mind today. Maybe you thought Jesus was one thing, but you haven't actually listened and paid attention to the truth of who he truly is in your life, your Savior, your Messiah. They, the disciples, have just experienced this incredible incredible moment that few people in the course of history have ever experienced. They've experienced the raw presence of Yahweh. And they're freaked out. They're scared. uh, Matthew actually records them like laying down and going to sleep. And then uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus actually had to come over and touch them to wake them up out of their shock. Jesus is like, hey guys, it's okay. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What great words. Those words, have no fear. Don't be afraid. It's the exact phrase that the that delivered by the angels to, to people in, in scripture like, like Abraham, all the way back to Jacob, Moses, Josh, Joshua, Elijah, David, Ezekiel, Daniel, Mary, Joseph, and even some of the other disciples have heard this phrase, don't be afraid. Have no fear. Jesus knew they were completely freaked out. And he cared for them in that moment. He calms them with his touch and with his voice. It's a great picture of Jesus's heart for us as well. So let's go back to verse nine and uh, nine and 10. This wraps up the story. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had witnessed. what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. So he's like, don't say anything until I rise from the dead. Verse 10, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Still didn't quite have it. Jesus in the previous chapter lets them know he's going to die and he's going to come back to life. And then a few uh, chat at the end of chapter nine, he says it again. And so this is right in the middle. They're still unclear about what that means. Remember that Peter wanted to stay on the mountain. He wanted to build these tents and live in that moment. He thought the kingdom was here, but they had a choice to make. They could have stayed on that mountain. They could have said, you know, Jesus is walking down the mountain. They could have said, you go, we're going to stay here and try to live in this moment, clinging to a moment they could never get back, hoping that maybe it would happen again. But the glory of God didn't stay on the mountain. The glory of God in Jesus is walking down the mountain with his sights set on Jerusalem, the cross. Peter, James, and John had to either choose to stay up on that mountain or follow Jesus down the mountain, back into the hurting and dying world in desperate need of a savior. So what did they choose? Well, thankfully, they chose to follow Jesus down the mountain. They saw in their time on the mountain with Jesus that he really was the son of God. They saw that he was not just a prophet, not just a wise man, not just some miracle worker, uh, but that he truly was the divine son of God, Messiah. Peter had already admitted it, but now there is no doubt in their minds who he is. Peter, James and John are now convinced and they followed Jesus down the mountain. So the question is, what about you? Will you follow Jesus down the mountain? At the beginning, I said, who you say Jesus is dictates how you will follow him. Who you say Jesus is dictates how you will follow him. If you say that Jesus is Lord... You call Jesus Son of God and Lord of your life. That means a couple things. It means a lot of things, but two things specifically for today. It means that you make him Lord of your whole life. You surrender everything to him. It means you surrender your finances. It means you surrender your marriage to him. It means you surrender your career, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your parents, your family, your coworkers. Your relationship with your friends, even your future plans, your insecurities and fears need to be submitted to Jesus. And your time and your resources as well. Everything of our lives gets submitted to Jesus to be Lord of. And secondly, we put our faith into action. Calling Jesus Lord means we love and serve others. The first thing that Jesus did when he came down on the mountain with the disciples is they, they came across a family whose son was possessed by a demon and Jesus cast the demon out, which Doug preached about last Sunday. They serve and minister to this family because they are calling Jesus Lord. They put it into action. So who is God calling you to serve, to pray for and minister to This week? How will you answer the question, Who do you say that I am? If you say that Jesus is Lord, praise God. I am so excited about that. But know that in order to truly call him Lord and hit the mark, you must answer yes to the second part of the question, which is Will you put your feet? where your mouth is and follow Jesus down the mountain to intentionally deliver God's love to the world. Will you put your feet where your mouth is and follow Jesus down the mountain to intentionally deliver God's love to the world?